the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. AM 1220 KDOW presents Money 2.0. Money 2.0. Now, shedding light on your portfolio and helping you make it grow. Here's certified financial planner and Money 2.0 host, Chad Burton. Welcome back into or welcome into Money 2.0. I'm your host, Chad Burton, certified financial planner. Just before the show started, my 10-year-old came into my radio room because I usually cruise back to the house where I can do the show out of my radio den that I've created here at the home. And my 10-year-old ran in and said, I need to start the show with a joke. I said, give me a joke. He said, what do you call a penguin in the desert? I said, I don't know. He said, lost. So there's your joke to start Money 2.0. Want to get your calls in the air, ask a money question, and tell me how bad my comedic skills are. 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Show we talk about? All things financial, really. As a certified financial planner for the last 19 plus years, taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, investing, it's all fair game. Take any individual, any question besides individual stock buy, hold, or sell. You can say that for Rob Black in the morning, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Again, the number is 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. And this sounds like an alarming news. When a man drives a bulldozer into a bank to protest the levy, well, that's what kind of things were going on today in Cyprus. So a man in the coastal city of Limassol, I don't even know how to pronounce that because before today you don't really talk too much about Cyprus, do you? But that's what the news was about. And and so what is Cyprus? Let's talk about that first because I bet you couldn't find it on a map before today. It's an island country in southeastern er, in, in southeastern Europe. It's in the eastern Mediterranean Sea south of the Turkish coast. Population 775,000. So a very small part of, you know, the, the European Union in terms of economic output. But here's a short version of what's happening. Some of Cyprus's banks, like many banks in Europe, are essentially bankrupt. You shouldn't say really many banks in Europe. It's a bad way to put it and kind of puts a little fuel to the fire. But what happened is Cyprus went to the Eurozone to get a bailout the same way Ireland, Greece, and you know, unofficially Italy and Spain have done. And essentially what that means these days is get some money from Germany, the only economy that's got some growth potential, real good growth potential to it. So the Eurozone powers, again, mainly Germany, gave Cyprus a bailout and instead they said, well, not instead, they basically tied this to it and they said depositors and Cyprus banks need to pay part of the tab. And that's a condition that really hasn't been imposed before on major banking systems since the start of this uh, global crisis in 2008. I really look at it as October of 2007 when you started to see uh, some of these companies have major issues from AIG on down. 
And the deal didn't really touch the bondholders. So why did the depositors? Well, here's what's going on in the U.S. to give you a little color on it. The Federal Reserve is buying $85 billion of bonds per month. I say that almost every single show. It keeps the bond prices high and inversely yields drop. And essentially what happens is your CDs, your money market funds, they pay almost zero. They pay negative after inflation. And so what that forces people to do is get the money back into the economy by being buying stocks and making people feel more wealthy, by investing in their business, by buying real estate and keeping people to work. Well, essentially, that they're just doing this but at a shorter rate. So instead of kind of taking the long route about it, they're saying, hey, we're going to impose for anybody that has under 100,000 euros on deposit a 6.75% levy. In other words, you're going to wake up tomorrow – and uh, gets if you got a hundred grand or less, or hundred grand, hundred thousand euros, six point seven five percent of that gone, six thousand seven hundred fifty euros, boom. Um, now they talked about for higher deposits a higher rate. Now after the initial news came out, there were reports that the European policymakers signaled flexibility on the application of this, seeking to overcome outrage that threatens to derail this bailout. I mean you're. Your PHS fell on the news. You had a Euro slide. You had GLD, the, the gold ETF up on the news. You had people running on the banks there in Cyprus. And this is something we've talked about. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, we have tried to steer very clear of anything that's financial, you know, bank related overseas. Because you still, you don't know when you could wake up and this could happen to another nation. It's still a problem that they just keep pushing the major plan down the road. They've got to get their economies growing. They're so focused on austerity, and the austerity isn't going to work. You got to get growth, and so then they're going to go back and find the money's other way. And this is exactly what they don't want to have happen. If this run on the bank thing continues, and hopefully they'll stop this with this kind of experiment on this little tiny nation, you don't want to wake up tomorrow and hear about this happening in, say, a French bank, because you know that's the kind of thing you have to worry about. Now, with that said, you might have a more opportunity in the next several months to add to the international funds that are really based more on what Asia is doing. Um, if you look at charts versus what some of the emerging markets have done and even some of the developed European markets that are still growing, because you can't be af- afraid of all of Europe. There's still parts that are doing okay. Um, this was the first quarter in a long time that you've had a big – you know, run up in U.S. stocks versus international stocks. So opportunity might be around the corner, especially if you're a person that's been taking some of the gains that you've had for the year when the market's up so much in a quarter. Look to put that back to work, you know, over time, average in to make sure you have your international exposure anywhere from 10 to 20%, really, depending on your age, at a minimum. Higher if you're much more aggressive and a long-term investor. Kind of also interesting news today that we had Goldman Sachs, both at uh, JP Morgan, they both increased their profit estimates and target estimates for the S&P 500. Meanwhile, an analyst for Wells Fargo lowered their estimates down to like 1360. So you still have kind of both sides of the fence um, in terms of people that believe, I mean, really it's, you have people that believe all of this stock market gain has been because of what the Federal Reserve is doing to print money. You have some people that Feel it's kind of 60-40, and some people think it's all market gains, and the, and the earnings are going to go to infinity. 
Um, I'm somewhere in between there. I would still look at a dip of five to ten percent as a good buying opportunity. And I got you know this email from Abigail that came in about two hours before the show. Abigail, thanks for the email. You can email me your questions. If you're too shy to call in at 800-516-1220, that's 800-516-1220. You can always email me, chat at chadburton.com. It's chat at chadburton.com. Or just go to the website, which you can get to at newfocusfinancial.com or chadburton.com. It goes to the same place, and you can submit your questions there and try to get back. I can't get back to every single one of them, but um, I try, and I'll try to hit it on the show for sure, especially if it's a good question. And here's Abigail's email. She's obviously been listening. She says, based on what you've been saying, I'm trying to do three things. I'm trying to rebalance my portfolio. Number two, make sure I have international exposure and managed funds. And number three, be tax efficient. I have cash to put to work, but only in my taxable account. Altogether, I only have 10% international. Are there any ETFs at all you like for international investing since you say ETFs are more tax efficient but you typically use funds for your international investing. So a lot there, but and, and let me explain that. So we've been talking a little bit about international investing, a lot about it actually, as well as tax-efficient investing, and that's asset location. So typically in my taxable accounts, I kind of like my long-term large-cap U.S. and mid-cap U.S. ETFs. I think those are great holdings for your brokerage accounts. And then kind of get everything else that you need your small cap, mid cap, or your small cap rather, uh, emerging markets, international markets, and bonds in your retirement accounts. So, you know, she asked, are there any ETFs at all I like for international investing? I'll tell you about one that I haven't used yet, but I could very easily look at using it, and we've been talking about it. We still have, we still have, we seem to find managed funds that we like a little bit better. But here's why I don't like, and today is a perfect example of it. You got to run on a bank in Cyprus. And the problem is, is that when you look at some of these international ETFs, and, you know, a simple way to do this, if you don't, if you don't have, um, Morningstar where you can dig into it, you know, uh, you know, more in depth, or you don't go to the company site and find out um, you know, exactly what the fund holds. If you want to use something like Yahoo Finance, that's fine. And you would look at most international ETFs and you would see something like the EFA, which is, um, the iShares broad based MSCI EAFE international index, where you have the top 10 holdings are Nestle, HSBC, Roche, Novartis, Toyota, BP, Vodafone, BHP, Billiton, Santa Fe, you know, a lot of good, well-known international companies. However, when I look at the holdings of this international index, it's 21% financial. And because of what's going on in the Eurozone, in all of these banks, you cannot believe for a minute that all of these banks are not tied together. In fact, if you have more of an issue with overseas banks, it's going to tie right back to the U.S. Everybody's tied together financially. There's all these swaps and stuff that still go on on the on the bond. So I still think... You know, it's interesting to see this, this financial run and some of the health that came out on this, uh, stress test of banks. It makes me look a much more positive on some of the U.S. financial stocks. I still wouldn't want to touch international banks with your 10 foot pole. So the reason why I use managed funds is because we make sure the managers are kind of in the same boat. And if they have financial exposure, maybe it's, you know, 
in the 12 to 15 percent range, and the financial exposure is not really in that type of a banking sector where you might have that derivative exposure. But I will say that PowerShares International Dividend Achievers Index, it fits my style of investing in dividend achievers, companies that have a history of raising their dividend. It's basically the international version of what Vanguard does with the VIG. And so the investment seeks to, to invest in companies that generally correspond to the NASDAQ International Dividends Achievers Index. And if you haven't done this before and you're looking at, I want to be a dividend achiever, you can look at Merchants Dividend Achievers. It's ways to look at companies um, that have a history of raising their dividend. In fact, uh, symbols that we found on the show, VIG from Vanguard, that's the U.S. version, SDY is kind of based on, uh, you know, a broader array of, array of dividend achievers that have raised their dividends over the last hundred years. Um, up a lot. SDY is up. That's one that I own for clients is up 12% year to date. Um, the PowerShares International Dividend Achievers, um, 78% international, the rest in U.S., so you do have some inter- U.S. exposure. And we were looking at this last year. It had in one of the top holdings a bank that had cut its dividend. And we don't like companies that cut their dividend. We typically sell them. And so we are waiting to take a fresh look at it until after they rebalance and we make sure they get rid of the non-dividend achievers, which they do. But here's the risk. TF. They don't cut the stocks fast enough because they're indexes. So we'll talk a little bit more about it after the break. Get your calls in there. 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Welcome back into Money 2.0. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. So I was talking about an email that I got from Abigail saying that trying to do three things, rebalance my portfolio, make sure I have international exposure and managed funds, and I want to be tax efficient. But a problem was is that she only has really cash to deal with in her taxable account. So is there any ETFs that I like for international investing? About the only one that I really like is PowerShares International Dividend Achievers. But I don't own it yet, so it's not a recommendation. It's just something for you to look at and realize what ETFs do. And if you're going to say, I only want an ETF, that's what I like because it sticks with that dividend achiever type of strategy. And what they'll do, though, and here's the problem with ETFs in the international basis. Really, ETFs are typically only the good indexed ETFs to keep the fees low. They only change the index once a year. And so if you buy an international dividend achiever and three months into the year, like right now, you have, let's say, a bank stock cut their dividend, they're supposed to be sold based on that type of investment style. But this won't sell that investment until January or December or January of the next year. So that's why I'm sticking with more managed approach to international stocks because there's certain areas still of Asia. There's still a lot of companies in Europe that do a lot of their business outside of Europe that look very, very attractive on their long-term P ratios and their dividend yields that you can pick up right now. I don't think you should pick it up. I think you should let a good manager of a mutual fund do it. So, Abigail, what I'd rather you do is cut some of your U.S. exposure in your IRA account, your 401k, or your Roth, and add a good international manager there and then turn around and buy back a good long-term uh, ETF in the U.S. on the larger mid-cap area. That's what I would suggest that you do. Stick with the managed fund approach typically on 
the international side and use your ETFs, which are basically index funds that trade like stocks, on your large cap and mid cap exposure. That's what I like to do. Another email question. This one's from Mickey. I had to take this one because same num- name as my mom. And I never really see it spelled like that, which is M-I-K-K-I. Um, Mickey said, I have a 403B in California where I work. I plan on leaving the state when I retire. Well, I have to pay California taxes on my 403B since it's a California plan. And uh, I think I had this last week. I can't remember if I hit it or not, so I'm going to hit it again. I didn't want to listen to my entire podcast, which, of course, you can find if you go to uh, iTunes, click on podcasts, and do a search for Chad Burton. You can find my podcast there. Um but look, a 403B plan is that's typically for teachers and nurses. It's their version of the 401k. And when you retire, you can roll it into an IRA. And then if you end up moving out of the state or you spend more than six months a year in a state like Florida or Washington where there's no income taxes, that's where you file your tax return. So you're not going to pay the taxes there. Even if you have a pension from California and retire in a state like Washington that doesn't have income tax, you're not going to pay the California taxes. That's why, for many of you, having a plan B for your retirement, if you have not saved enough and you can't afford to live in Washington or in California, for example, you might have to look to move. Because there's only two good ways to pull equity out of your house. You either sell it, move somewhere else, or you do a reverse mortgage. Call Ray Fry from the Thursday show and do a reverse mortgage if you want to stay. But a lot of times, a lot of you, a lot of people can't afford to lay, live in the Bay Area unless you bought your home and it's paid off and you have an extremely low tax base. But look, Prop 13 is going away someday, guys. It is going away someday. Look at the budget and you try to talk me into the fact that it's not going away. Realistically, it should. Um, in some way, shape, or form, it should uh, average up where these people that have, you know, multi-million dollar homes that are paying four, you know, less than $3,000 a year for property tax. That's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And it screws up businesses too. You'd have one business that's been there forever owning that building and another business down the street that has a better product or service or whatever, but they can't afford to do it because they don't pay the same property taxes. So the only time that I see California going back and trying to attack certain income is these people that have a lot of stock options and they think they're either going to escape or retire and then get a really long-term window as part of their severance to, to exercise these stock options that they receive when they are in California. That's when the state of California is going to go back after you. But in terms of pension plans and retirement accounts, if you don't live in California, you're not going to pay the California tax. And another email question from Kim, and by the way, again, you can email me, Chad, at newfocusfinancial.com or go to the website, newfocusfinancial.com. Um, let's see, where did email, Kim's email go? I'll have to hit this one back after the break because we're coming up on a break here, but is now a good time to invest in dividend-paying stocks even though capital gains and dividend taxes are higher? So I'm going to talk about that, but also about what types of stocks that pay dividend haven't increased as much. 800-516-1220, that's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Take a quick break and we'll be right back. This is Money 2.0 on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back into Money 2.0. I'm your host, Chad Burns, Certified Financial Planner. Get your calls in the air, 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Let's go to the phones. we got Ed on the line. Ed, how are you? 
Good, good, Chad. I got a question here. I'm 71 right. years old, so I had to take minimum withdrawal last year, but I didn't do it. So I'm going to do it this year before April 1st. I got to take the 2011 minimum withdrawal. But I did a um, IRA uh, rollover back in 2011, but I did a recharacterization of it in 2012 for the deadline. Are you talking about a Roth conversion, you mean, that you need to? Yeah, an IRA to Roth. Okay, you did that in 2012, all right? 2011. No, I did it in 2011, and I did a, a recharacterization in 2012. Oh, okay, gotcha. So you didn't want to, you decided you didn't want to end up paying taxes right. on it in 2012, right. right? So the question is, when I do my 2011 minimum required uh, distribution, do I add back that characterization into the 2011 uh, end-of-year uh, IRA and take it from that, or do I do take it from the 2012 IRA end of year uh, figures. Well, what you have to do is that, so right now, <clears throat> mm -hmm. essentially, since you recharacterize, everything was in an IRA, right? Yeah, I put it back, uh, yeah, add it in an IRA, put it in Roth, put it back in the IRA. Okay, so you have to add up the 1231 values of both of those accounts, of everything. Okay, so like, uh, okay, because when I got my, um, was it the 1099 or so on my IRA from 2011, it showed that the money less of what I'd taken out and rolled over it was less in there. But I need to know if I use that figure when I figured it, uh, my minimum uh, withdrawal on it, or do mm -hmm. I use the figure with the recharacterization? Do I add back that figure into there and do the minimum withdrawal based on the money, you know, as if it, I'd never taken it out in 2011? Okay. Well, first of all, I think you're getting yourself confused because what you what you ended up doing is that you're waiting until April first of the year following your your seventy and a half birthday, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. It was last okay. year. So essentially, what you have is you have a, a, an account that when you're trying to calculate the number was sitting in a Roth IRA, right? And then you eventually recharacterize that to a regular IRA. Right. Okay, so what you need to do is find the 1231 value of that Roth IRA. That's what matters. It doesn't matter what account it was when you recharacterize it or whatever because you're changing the style of the whole Roth. So the IRA back into from a Roth to a regular IRA. You just need the 1231 value of that account, the and then you also have another IRA besides the one you converted to a Roth. You need to add the 1231 value of that as well. Now, are you aware that you're going to have to take two minimum required distributions this year? Right, right. I've got to take the 20, uh, 2012 and the 2013. Exactly, yep. Right. So, so, I, so when I do the 2013, that's what I'm saying, because I've got a 1099 on the IRA for 2012, but it has the, a symbol R in it. I'm wondering, do I include that in as um, part of the IRA in 20, you know, my income or something in 2012 or that's what I want to know how to handle that. It's not included in the income, it's but it's in, the 1231 value is included in the calculation of your required minimum distribution. For 2012 or 2011? Yeah. For 2012. Yeah, yeah. I mean, here's what, here's what I want you to do because mm -hmm. outline what you're trying to do in the values of the account on 1231, 2011 and 1231, 2012. Right. Mm -hmm. it, email those to me. And I'll give you some direction because what okay. you're talking about is, is good in terms of radio, making sure people realize that um, the minimum required distribution is there. Mm. And you're supposed to start taking when you turn 70 and a half, but you can take it April 1st of the year following 
your 70 and a half birthday. But if you do that, you end up kind of doubling up. You, you end up taking the first year and the second year in the same year. You kind of increase your taxes. Right. And if you forget to do it and you don't get it done, it's a 50% penalty on the amount you were taking out. So that's the part that's decent radio, Ed. The part that's mm-hmm. not is trying to have, have me calculate this for you on the air without having the numbers in front of me. Okay. So okay, I'll go ahead and shoot you an email. Yeah, and I'll, I'll shoot you some direction back if you want to email chat at chadburton.com. That's chat at chadburton.com. And thanks for the call, Ed. I appreciate it. Um, okay, thank you. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in there. 800-516-1220. Somebody asked me, too, just by email just now, what international ETF I was talking about. It's PowerShares International Dividend Achievers, PID. Um, you look at the fund, you notice it's uh, heavily in North America, about 43%. There's a good exposure to Northern Europe, the more developed growing part. It's not going to give you your emerging markets exposure. You still need that in a different type of fund. And again, I like the managed funds more than I like this one, but it is the one ETF that I would purchase if you said you can't purchase an international fund. Get your calls in the area, 800-516-1220. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back. This is Money 2.0 on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back into Money 2.0. I'm your host, Chad Burns, Certified Financial Planner and Wealth Manager. If you want to find out more about my company and what we offer, just go to newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. If you want to get your calls in the air, like uh, Howard did here from Sonoma, 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1225. Time to get to it. I've got um, a guy named Stan Hinden wrote a book, How to Retire Happy, The 12 Most Important Decisions You Must Make Before You Retire. Pretty good short read. Talk about those 12 questions and the 12 decisions coming up here in a minute. But let's go to Howard on the phones. Howard, how are you? I'm pretty good. Thanks for taking my question. Thanks. How's the signal up there in Sonoma? How is it? Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, good. Good, good. Well, all about wine country up here, and it's a perfect time of year to be enjoying what's going to be budding soon, which, uh, of course, are the wine vines. Good, good. But you can hear the signal okay all the way up in up in Sonoma, huh? Yeah. Good. Good. So you're looking at investing in a private company. Tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, I would like to, uh, out of my traditional IRA, invest mm-hmm. in a private corporation that's not listed anywhere. It's totally privately held. First of all, I wondered if that was possible with IRA money. And then uh, follow-up question in that venue, um, what would be the best way to do it? It has been proposed that I uh, open up uh, Roth IRA, transfer some of my IRA money to a Roth IRA, and then uh, purchase it that way and wait five years uh, before, uh, you know, as this company grows and hopefully grows in value, as the stock does, wait five years before I take anything out. Okay, now who's who's pitching the Roth conversion part of this? I mean, who, who's coming up with this Roth idea? Um, this is a tax preparer that suggested that that would be a, a way that uh, that I might go about it. Okay, is the tax preparer involved in this business at all? No. Okay, and tell me a little bit about the business. Can you give me an idea what they do? Uh, the the business has to do with uh, hospitals and um, uh, offerings for patient care. Okay, so is this kind of a play on the idea of Obamacare and making it really tough for people to get into a hospital and they're going to be going more towards nursing and, and nurse practitioners? Um, 
it's yeah, it's actually a means of communication uh, between uh, doctors and patients. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, okay, first of all, I don't know. See, here's the deal. Do you, do you have any money outside of an IRA? Yeah. Okay. Um, I typically don't like to do this with IRA money because if you do it with an IRA money, what you do have to do is you have to find a custodian that will accept an outside asset. And you can find them, but they typically charge a couple hundred bucks a quarter in fees to hold shares. So in other words, you you open up an IRA account, you transfer whatever it is, $50,000, if you think this is a wise deal, into that custodian's IRA. They're a custodian. They're a bookkeeper. They will charge you a certain amount of book to hold that. And then basically what happens is on your behalf, that custodian purchases into the shares of the LLC or the company or whatever you're buying. So it's kind of expensive for a custodian to do that for you. Also, what I see, Howard, is most of these things actually end up going bad. And if it goes bad and it's inside an IRA, you can't take the loss. You're just out of luck. But if you invest after tax dollars um, and it goes bad, you take the loss. If it goes good, you sell it and you pay capital gains taxes. The only way if, it was, if I was to do it in an IRA is if I had a 100% guarantee that this thing was going to skyrocket and I you know, knew I wasn't going to ever want to pay taxes on it. So how big of a dollar amount are you uh, looking to invest in this and of, of your overall portfolio? What percentage? Uh, it's probably, uh, you know, 5%. Okay, so it's a pretty significant amount. I mean, once you get, uh, are you close to retirement? Uh, yeah. Okay. So it's a little, little, little bit hefty to go into retirement with more than 5% any one company, especially if it's a private deal. Um, are you involved in the business at all? I mean, how do you, why are you so Um, pumped about it? Well, I'm, I'm uh, close to the, to, uh, board members and to operating key persons. Okay. So I, 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 and are you going to have your tax preparer or somebody else look at the books of this place and and uh, you know really really look into this deal or, or are you just kind of investing based on on your gut? I'm uh, well. I've had uh, numerous meetings with with point people and have attended uh, sales meetings and whatnot. So I have you know it's more than just uh, a, a passing. You know, just a, a presentation. Okay. Yeah, because the things that scare me about it is that, you know, if it's a really, really good deal, typically they're going private equity because there's, you know, private equity is pretty active and they're trying to go a little bit bigger. Maybe it's something that they're trying to keep in Sonoma. I'm not sure. I can't tell you, you know, whether or not you should do it. But I can tell you that, you know, it takes a little bit more work on your part to try to find an IRA custodian that will accept the investment as holding it for you. And then again, you know, I mean, here's the deal. If you invest in it with after tax money and it goes bad, you can write off the loss. If it goes really, really good, you can sell it and pay capital gains taxes. Or if you pass away holding the stock and it's done really, really well, your heirs can, uh, your spouse or your heirs can, you know, get a step up in basis and sell it tax free. So I probably, I would not, I would not sit there and take a IRA convert it to a Roth, pay a bunch of taxes on it, and then invest it in a private company. That's like, to me, doubling the risk. I see. Um, in other words, when I convert my traditional IRA 
First of all, I'm with uh, Charles Schwab, so maybe they don't take... Uh, yeah, Charles Schwab wouldn't do it. You'd have to find an outside custodian. You'd have to Google, uh, you know, find IRA custodian Sonoma, you know, try to find one that's close to you. Um, and look, what, what tax bracket are you at? What, what's your federal tax bracket? Uh, I'm a pretty low, you know, 15%, something like that. Okay, so it might make sense to do a little bit of a Roth conversion and invest it in something normal, but I still wouldn't do a Roth conversion and invest it in a private company. That's a lot of risk. Because then, okay. then if you, then, <laughs> then if, if it goes bad, conversion? you've not only paid taxes on your investment, but you don't get to write it off to the extent that you want to. There are some ways to write off some Roth losses, but you have to cash in all your Roth IRAs. So yeah, good luck with it. And um, I would, if you're gonna do it, I would just do it with after-tax dollars. Thanks for the call. If you want to get your calls in the air, 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. And, uh, or you can email me. Go to my website, newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back. This is Money 2.0 on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back into Money 2.0. If you want to connect with me, you can go to uh, Facebook page, New Focus, and that New Focus is one word, financial group. It's New Focus, one word, financial group. You can, uh, if you missed the first part of the show when I was talking about Cyprus, the run on the banks and those types of issues, you can go to iTunes. Well, first of all, I post the podcast at Facebook, post it at Twitter, and um, those links you can also find on our website, newfocusfinancial.com, and also on iTunes as well. So iTunes podcast, type in Chad Burton, you can find it there. One of the things I want to talk about, and we're running out of time in the show, so maybe I'll head on a little bit more. And by the way, next week, next week's show, I'll have an interview with a fixed income manager from American Century. That will be coming up next week. So next Monday's show will be pretty much all about bonds. Um, <clears throat> but a lot of times I talk about retirement. We've got a retirement planning event coming up on March 28th. And uh, there's a guy, guy named last name is Hinden. You recently published a book, a guy named Stan Hinden, How to Retire Happy, The 12 Most Important Decisions You Make Before You Retire. Now, this guy's 86, and he wrote the Retirement Journal column in the Washington Post for years after he retired as a financial writer in 1996. And so some of the de- decisions he makes is a lot of the stuff that I've talked about before. Are you ready to retire? He's talking about a guy that we've been focused on a plan to retire at age 55, and I asked him, what are you going to do all the time? He's like, I don't know. I can't golf all day long. I mean, you've got to realize what you're going to do. What is going to make you feel like you have an identity? What's going to wake you up in the morning and get you moving? Whether it's exercise, charity, traveling, grandkids, you have to know what you're going to do. That's one of the most important pieces because you can retire with all the money in the world, but if you're miserable, a lot of times you end up becoming a miser and just miserable and, you know, watching your stories on TV and He's, you know, getting heavy, and there you go. It's not not good. Can you afford to retire? There's a quick chart you can download at newfocusfinancial.com that, that you know, what percentage of your portfolio are you drawing on? That 4% rule that people used to use, it's tougher and tougher to make work, guys, unless you're doing some bond alternatives like I talk about on this show. Bonds are paying retirees less than half of what they were prior to 19, prior to 2006, really. Bond rates have tanked, which makes it, tough on your CDs, your bonds, your fixed income. It's tough out there, which also makes this next question, when should you apply for Social Security? 
It's extremely important. And women, listen up. It's really important for you because typically you live longer. And when you're, if you were a, a, a mom and you stayed home with the kids and you didn't get your own Social Security benefit, when your husband retires and takes Social Security, what you get, you get, uh, you'll get your own spousal, non-working spousal benefit based on your husband's Social Security, but it's greatly reduced if he takes it under the age of 67. And so you really have to play that out. There's a lot of tricks that can be done with Social Security. And so people that are, you know, over 55 should really be careful when they take Social Security, especially if they think they're going to live a while. A lot of times you can have the husband file and suspend and not take benefits until 70. The wife takes her own benefit, and then they both switch at age 70. There's certain things that you can do. And with bonds paying so low, we're telling more people to hold off lately if they're healthy. How you should take your pension. And again, ladies, listen up. If your husband had a pension... You gotta know if it's gonna go away when he passes away or if it's gonna be reduced by 50%. You could get hammered with a 50% reduction in the pension and social security. And also when to take money out of your IRAs. It's something that we talk about. You can watch a retirement boot camp and it's really important to, to not wait till the last minute to take out of your IRAs. But the biggest cost is health insurance. That's the cost that's killing. You can control all the other inflation in retirement. But you can't control the rapid increase in health insurance. It's going to get worse. It's going to get harder to see the doctor based on Affordable Care Act. And it's going to become more expensive, I think. So thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. If you're interested in our wealth management services, go to newfocusfinancial.com. Have a great evening. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.